What's going on, people? Welcome to Pain Points, a Canis Hoopers podcast presented proudly by the SB Nation Network. As usual, you can find my work over at canishoopers.com or follow me on Twitter at jakepainting, J-A-K-E-P-A-Y-N-T-I-N-G. Today, we're going to do a bit of a mailbag, try and answer some of your questions. Uh, joining me today is the fearless leader, the, the leader of our wolf pack over at Canis Hoopers, Kyle Tigey. What's going on, man? How's it going, dude? Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, before we get into the mailbag, I'd just like to send my condolences, my gratitude, everything like that, over to, to Kyle Ratke and Katie Davidson and everyone else who was let go today by, by the Timberwolves organization. Obviously, it's a tough time for every business all around the globe, but uh, these guys were very much a part of the backbone that, that kept the Timberwolves journalism fun and insightful and intriguing and it just... It sucks to see them to see them let go. I know they're way too good at what they do to, to not land on their feet, but it still sucks either way and it sucks to see good people lose their jobs. I know it's happening all around the world at the moment and obviously we've all got a, a case we can relate to in, in that scenario, but to Katie and to Kyle and to everyone else around the Timberwolves organisations who, who were unlucky enough today, we uh, me and Kyle both send our condolences, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, we were talking about this a little bit offline, but uh, it's bitter. It's bittersweet. I think that's the phrase I want to use. But uh, Kyle Radke specifically, he's been there forever. Uh, Kyle's one of the reasons I kind of got into this. And then I've got to know Katie, and I tweeted this out, but Katie is like a grade A journalist, but she's even like a better person. Like you see some of the stuff yeah. she tweets from her personal account. Like she really wants to like make positive changes. Um, so I mean, you see. You see her and you see Kyle and then, you know, like Dane and stuff. Um, a lot of good people losing jobs, but on the same side, uh, my heart aches for them, but they are three of the most talented people out there. So I, they might be listening, but they're going to land on their feet. It's just, it's a sad day because the Timberwolves can't afford from a roster standpoint, nor a, an off the court standpoint to lose good people because uh, yeah. they still have a ways to go to build a fan base and to be good. Um, so losing good people sucks. So today was a bad day, but, uh, but I, but again, thoughts go to those, uh, guys and gals and they're going to, they're going to land on, on their feet. So I'm excited to see what happens. So, yeah, for sure. I don't see people that good at their job ever kind of not doing another job in the industry. And I'm sure at some point, Timberwolves basketball in general will, will pick back up and, and these journalists will hopefully be rehired because they're such great reads and listens and, all of that stuff, and, and I really hope to see more of them in the future. Um, we'll get straight into the mailbag. So we've got about seven questions, I think, that we'll try and get through. We, we'll try and spend a bit of time on each. Um, question one it comes in from Jake, great name, by the way, at JViking5. Um, he says, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of talk about Minnesota needing a third star to be truly competitive. If you could handpick any player on this team, who would it be and why? You can take this first, Kyle. Well, the, okay, that's a great question from Jake. Uh, the first the first reaction is going to be, I think everyone's going to say Devin Booker or Bradley Beal um, because we know that Gerson and his staff want to just, you know, max out on shooting. They can't have, they can't have enough shooting. Um I would lean towards those are both good options. I mean, uh, Bradley Beal is so polished. Like, Brad, people just don't watch a lot of the Wizards, especially, like, for me on the West Coast. I mean, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but, again, like, 
there's certain teams you just don't watch a lot of, and the Wizards are one of them because they're bad. We only watch the Timberwolves, who are bad, just because they're our favorite team. But uh, <laughs> but Bradley Beal would be great. I mean, he's a third legit, legit All Star, and he would make that backcourt with D'Angelo Russell pretty. I mean, one of the, I think it's hard to argue, one of the three or four best backcourts in in the league. Um, defensively, that's probably going to present a lot of holes. Um, but again, did, how much does defense factor into this whole equation into what Rosas wants to do? Um, so those are the two guys and I guess kind of coming down a peg, I mean, you know, guys like Jonathan Isaac, I mean, I don't know how available some of these guys are, but like, I think this team knows that Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell are their two centerpieces. And as long as one of them's here, I think the other one will be here. Uh, I think their friendship matters. I think keeping them happy matters. Um, but I also think Malik Beasley is tied into that. I think he is kind of their third guy, the way they talk about him. So if those are your three guys, this this other star that you're talking about has to be a defensive guy. So I don't know if you have better better names than I do. I mean, Jonathan Isaac's one, but I don't know how available he is. Um, but I just think it's got to be a guy that can do all of the, the Draymond Green type stuff for your team that can help Towns get extra rebounds and can, you know, protect the rim and can, you know, bully guy, you know, just kind of take the brunt, take charges, do a, all the dirty stuff that Towns has never really wanted to do, even though he's so special offensively. So it's not a great answer because I, you know, but it's got to be someone that brings those other tools because I think this team has plenty of offense to outscore teams on certain nights, plenty of offense to, to contend for the playoffs next season. So th- that would be... Obviously Booker, obviously Beal, but then another guy that can play the four, maybe play the three, a better Roko, kind of. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I, I had Isaac down as well. I think he's the one that kind of I hear a lot about in terms of of giving up as much as you can to, to try and get him. Like you said, I'm not sure how available he is. I think an Orlando are kind of placing their future on, on him as the franchise guy, but... Like you said, he de- like defensive player of the year potential. He he probably would have been very close to winning it this season had he played, you know, 65, 70 games, whatever a full season is going to be this season. He just he put out so many fires that that the rest of this team creates on defense. He can probably guard one through five. He's quick. He's long. He's just an awesome defender. If you haven't got around to to watching Orlando games, I know they're not like. You know the the hottest ticket on the block at the moment, but if go and watch some early season Orlando and Jonathan Isaac is just an amazing defender. So so like you said, I had him as well. Outside of that, obviously the Beals and the Bookers. Another guy who I don't think is available either, but I think would fit this team really well in the wing would be someone like Jalen Brown. Oh, I was uh, just about to say that. That is awesome. <laughs> like he a, a good another good defender. I a, a really good 3 and D kind of prospect. I think he's obviously a big part of Boston right now, but he'll give you 15 to 20 points nightly. He's enhanced his D again this season. His contract is bigger, but still not not a deal breaker if, if he was to become available. I think, again, just a pipe dream, but someone who would slot into this team at the three really well, he could he could complement um, Russell and Towns while also, you know, Getting his own his own buckets and being able to defend probably the best perimeter guy along along with Josh Kogi. And those those are those are great names. Like you said, it's a great question because we're you know we for the longest time the NBA had kind of shifted to that three star the you know the big three model. 
Um, and then last season with some of the transactions and stuff, we started to see kind of the dynamic duo. You saw uh, uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. You saw LeBron and Anthony Davis. All these teams started to have kind of their two main guys. And the Wolves have that, for better or worse, whatever you think of the Towns, Russell. I mean, we've seen one game of them. But uh, adding that third star, is that going to be the route they go? Or do they want to try to fill it in with, you know, rather than another nine or ten out of, of a star, do they want to add more sevens around them um, yeah. to kind of fit better? But, uh, but yeah, it all comes down to you just got to find that guy that's pissed off and hates where he is right now. Um, <laughs> that's why Jalen Brown is probably less likely because – Boston runs a good ship, but um, Jonathan Isaac, maybe he, you know, there's a lot of bigs down there. Maybe he gets tired. Booker, he's always, you know, in trade rumors and same with Beal. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what Rosas does because he stated he wants to find stars. Like he is star hunting. That is his mission. Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, any player that becomes available whatsoever, you, you can you can bet your bottom dollar that Minnesota are going to get on the phone and, and at least give it a crack because... They're, like you said, they're star hunting, and one day they're gonna that star is gonna end up in Minnesota, I think, because Rosas doesn't seem like he's going to settle for for mediocrity. You saw already how desperately he hunted D'Angelo Russell for for better or worse, but I think that's the kind of mentality he's going to have with every star player that even come becomes ten percent available. What uh? Do you want me to ask question two? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so this is from uh, at BCView84, uh, nicknamed Boo. Shout out, Boo. Uh, if the Wolves win the lottery as of today, who would be the pick? And I wanted to ask this question to you because if you don't know by now, you, Jake, are one of the best, if not the best guy I know at just looking into draft prospects. All the guys you write about is, I mean, it is like every time I read them, I'm like, okay, I w- this is the guy <laughs> I want. I want this. And then... At the end, you start to talk about fit, and then you kind of talk me out with the guys. But um, if again, question today, the Wolves win the lottery. They have the first pick in. I think the draft is in October. Oh, um, uh, yeah, just a, like three days after the season's finished. I think. Okay, so the Wolves win the lottery. They have the first pick. They're drafting in October. Who do you think it should be? Well, obviously, I've got no idea how, how Brosas and his front office cohorts are, are thinking, but. For me, I, I'm taking Anthony Edwards, from the freshman from Georgia. I think like all high upside players at, at the top of this draft, he's got a pretty low floor as well. There's some, there's some. I think there's some real, you know, concerns about how low that floor could could sink eventually. But for me, I'm a big believer. He's six foot five, six foot six, 225 pounds. He's super strong. A ridiculous vertical and lateral athlete. He's got awesome ball handling for, for a wing, awesome shot creator. He The concerns are, are his motor and his awareness and he, his shot selection, which, which I guess screams out um, Andrew Wiggins, which I see a lot of, of Timberwolves fans saying, you know, we don't want another Andrew Wiggins, and, and I agree. But I think there's a, it's a bit overblown, that comparison. He, he does switch off at times. His defense is bad when he's not paying attention. When he is paying attention, he can be a really good defender, which, again, is similar to Wiggins. But I think his strength and his lateral quickness is probably both a little bit better than Wiggins. Wiggins is obviously taller. He can jump out the gym more than than Edwards, who can still jump out the gym himself. But Edwards is definitely more physically advanced in, as, at a strength, in a strength respect than, than Wiggins. 
I think he's way more advanced as a, as a shooter. He only shot 29% from three. He also took the world's hardest jump shots all season. Georgia were a really bad team, especially in terms of perimeter creation. And Edwards was pretty much just given the ball and told, you know, do whatever you want. And obviously, there's still some blame to be shifted towards him for taking those bad shots and not trying to get to the rim as much or not trying to get more open shots. But in, a, in an NBA system, especially the Timberwolves system, where he comes in as the third option, fourth option, he gets a ton more open shots. He's a really good catch-and-shoot guy. He doesn't have to play in isolation very often. I think he's the kind of guy who could who could fit into that role really well. And then he still has like ultra-star upside. It's obvious, I think it's maybe, a, let's say, a, a 10% chance that he ever hits that, that mega-star kind of upside. But... That's about as good as you're going to get in the, in this draft. And the Timberwolves seem like a really good place to kind of foster that, that potential with the roster the way it is, with him not having to take a bunch of the shots. If he goes to a place like, say, Cleveland or, or Detroit, all of a sudden he's shooting 20 shots a night and he might fall back into those, those bad habits of, of the isolation ball, the step backs, the, the sidestep contested threes, which he can make, but. Not enough to be, you know, that that number one option. But in Minnesota, he's immediately behind Carl Anthony Towns, Dancho Russell, and probably Beasley. They're probably, you know, on a similar level of, of shots per night. And I think that would be a really good thing for Edwards. I can see him becoming a good player, especially in Minnesota. So I have some thoughts on this. I uh, First of all, best question we've had so far. Second of all, you did a really good write-up on Anthony Edwards. Uh, it was a little while ago. But um, when I read it, I had two thoughts. Because you made the, the Wiggins comparison. Or, you know, just stated that there is a Wiggins comparison. Um, and I still think, and I'm obviously happy that Wiggins isn't on the team anymore. But I still think Andrew Wiggins just came into a bad... I mean, I think certain guys... I, I'm 31. I think any guy at 19 or 20, you can mold them in any direction. So this idea yeah. that Anthony Edwards didn't have a motor or something. When I read your thing and I watched some of the highlights I just got Ben Simmons vibes not in terms of a comp at all but just like Ben Simmons went to a school LSU who knows if and, he didn't, got paid. and didn't try on defense and yeah, for did, a second yeah he just he just went there so that he could literally you know like waiting in line until he could become the first overall pick um didn't develop terrible team bad coaching that's kind of the vibe I got from Anthony Edwards again there are far more advanced draft people like yourself that can kind of nail this down but you know, I just think he went to a school. Again, I don't know if he got paid or whatever. College, college is paying all these guys. But I think he just went there so he could just, you know, play basketball for a little bit, go to a semester of school, and then hop to the NBA draft. So I don't want to bag on him. Like you said, he was the most talented guy on the court pretty much every night. I don't want to bag on a guy if he took bad shots. I think, so with, going back to the Wiggins comparison, when Wiggins, you know, the Wolves trade Kevin Love for Wiggins, and Wiggins comes in, he is already kind of like the messiah. Like, he is the savior. The team was terrible. They pimped him out as, like, the guy. And he was. He was the first overall pick. Um, but I and think... Hi- and hyped up to the... Right, you know, yeah. Over. I mean, literally, Maple Jordan. Like, hyped up <laughs> as the next Michael Jordan. But but for Anthony Edwards, the benefit that he might have being the first overall pick, coming to, coming to the Wolves, he knows, like, no matter what, I am the third dog on this on a good night. I mean, if Malik Beasley stays here, maybe he's the fourth guy. But it would just be less pressure. And I just think you can... I just don't believe... That's why I think 
scouting and draft is so interesting because a lot of this is fit. Like you said, if he goes to a bad team like the Cavs and they throw him in there with Sexton and Garland and he's just jacking up shots, he might just be a bust. But if he comes to Minnesota and they can develop him and they've shown a really good knack for developing young players, um, I think that's the right call. I, just liking the concept of being weird, want to answer this question with, I think LaMelo Ball would just be awesome. I don't know if he's a good basketball player. I just think for Minnesota needs talent, and I just think it'd be, how fun would it be? You started to talk about the D'Angelo Russell kind of opportunities for him to be a Harden. You know what I mean? Weren't you just tweeting about that recently? Yeah, yeah. And just if you had, again, I don't know if they would give up 300 points in a night with Ball (laughs) and Russell and Towns and those guys, but I just thought it would be an interesting way to just continuously pivot and be like, we're just going to put playmakers on the court and we're going to try to outscore people and we're going to shift D'Angelo Russell to the two and maybe Beasley to the three and just, that would be my second pick. But again, if they did win the lottery, I do think there is still an Anthony Edwards tier and then it kind of drops off. So I know the draft's not great, but I do think that Edwards still has that highest ceiling. And if you're Minnesota, you got to continuously find guys that have the highest ceiling, no matter what their floor might be. Yeah, I think a lot of draft, you know, experts and stuff that, that I speak to and that I see on Twitter and stuff are all really high on ball as well. Like, I think you could at least, I think probably 70% of guys would have ball above Edwards. I think they're the consensus top two, along with probably Killian Hayes and Onyeka Conway, maybe even James Wiseman for some people. But um, I think ball, if there's one thing ball would do is that, and that's sell tickets and that's, an important side to Minnesota because they don't sell enough tickets. And at some point you need to get fans in the door. If that means that Lamelo Ball has higher bus potential than, than an Edwards or, or another player of that category on this team, then, then maybe that's the risk they're willing to take. I, I know uh, Darren Wolfson said that there are definitely people who like Lamelo Ball in the, in the Timberwolves organization. So I don't think they're completely out on him and, he would sell tickets. He sold tickets everywhere he went. Here in Australia, I went and watched him live twice. Both times in Melbourne, he played for, for a Sydney team and the stadium was packed. And they were guys from Melbourne in Lamello Ball, Illawarra jerseys because they weren't there to see Melbourne because they don't go and watch that basketball. They only went there because they knew Lamello Ball was the superstar in the making. And that's the kind of thing he'd do in Minnesota as well, I think. I, and I, I'm so glad you touched on that because we're going to go probably, what, nine months from March until either December 1st or Christmas without the Wolves being even on the radar. You know what I mean? We just talked about how we've had to let some people go and stuff. I mean, I love them. 31 years of being a fan. Same with you. I know you've been a fan your whole life. But, like, let's not sugarcoat this even though I think we're both optimistic. Lowest in attendance, both home and on the road. Um, very, I mean, they just don't have a fan base. So... When people like my friends, I say, yeah, you know, LaMelo Ball might be fun to, to draft. And they're like, well, I don't want to have his dad show up. His dad being on ESPN first take talking about the Timberwolves and his son isn't necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> like yeah. talking about the Timberwolves would be fun. Now, again, from a basketball perspective, that's what matters. Is he a better fit than Anthony Edwards? Probably not. Um, but he but might I, be a better player. Yeah, and, but he might be a better and, player. And Rosas is going to look at all these players as assets. And if that means that Lamelo Ball develops for two years and then they have to make a decision on, on Russell or Ball, 
I don't think that would stop them from drafting him, especially with how bad this team is. I do like the idea in this draft of drafting at least uh, partially for fit. But if Lamelo Ball is, in their you know opinion, going to be the best player in the draft and they get the first pick, I think they'll take him. I think they'll take who they think is the best player. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I 100% so. All right, well, we'll move on to question three, which is from uh, Rosas Daddy <laughs> um, <laughs> at MVP Wiggins. He says, as we know, Rosas has high expectations for his time here in Minnesota. How many players on the current roster do you trust in a playoff series? Uh, l- let me pause that question quick. Um, this is a loaded. This is a loaded sub question, but I I'm stealing this from Dane because Dane Moore and Britt Robson did a really great podcast recently. Uh, yep. There's so many pieces that have to happen. We just talked about the lottery. We just talked about the draft, free agent sell stuff. If they continue to trend in the aggressive way they have, do you think they contend for a playoff spot next year? Um, I think they need to add at least one or two pieces that complement, you know, the core guys defensively. I don't know if that's, you know, someone like an Aaron Gordon who we'll get to a little bit later or, or someone like that. But I think they need someone who helps defensively and they need internal improvement. And then on top of that, I think they need to have a little bit of luck like you always do yeah. in, in, a, in a playoff race. But I think they need to be, they need to, win the se- the season series against, say, Sacramento, Phoenix, Thunder, you know, teams like that. They're all the teams that are going to be vying for that, that eighth spot. San Antonio, New Orleans. There's just... The West is loaded at the moment. So as loaded as, as it's ever been at the back end. And I think... I think this team has enough talent to play playoffs. I think... I, I wrote that piece a while ago. I think if they, if they really maximise their offence like top 10, you know, top seven offenses don't often miss the playoffs. So I think that's their best their best path to making it, but they still need to be, you know, at least 20th, I think, defensively. I don't think they can be 29th in defensive rating and make the playoffs. Okay, I, that, that's what I wanted to hear. I just, I didn't want to pivot too far from the question because it was about playoffs. I was just curious about your take, but... No, that's but, fine. But back to the question, I think if you just threw them into the playoffs, I mean... They have some guys that have some sneaky playoff experience. Some, I mean, I, I think because of everything that has transpired and Minnesota with all the off-the-court COVID-related, George Floyd-related things, I mean, no team has really gone through more this summer, spring than them. But, like, I, I literally had forgotten, and it made me sad, I literally had forgotten that Jake Lehman was on the team. He's going to be like, it's like he already is a new free agent for them because he really didn't get to do much for them last year. But, um, but I mean, I would trust Jake Lehman in a playoff series. He has a lot of playoff experience from his time in Portland. Uh, James Johnson is the same. That guy's just a savvy, semi-crazy person who I would trust in a series. And then um, you have, obviously, Towns, probably Beasley. And then I think D'Angelo Russell, I think I just get gamer vibes from him. I just get this vibe that, like, I mean, he doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. But, I mean, he played in L.A. He played in Brooklyn. He's played in Golden State. Obviously, it was a short period of time. But, like, He's played in major markets. I think the dude, he had a run for um, back in college. Like, I just think when the lights are the brightest, he is someone that welcomes the attention, welcomes the pressure. Um, so I think they have more guys than you would think that would stand up in a, in a seven-game series. But uh, 
but that that's just kind of my opinion. What about you? Yeah, I think I'm kind of the same. I think I think like you said, it's it's hard. Like you have to distinguish, I guess, with this question between guys who are going to get a thirty percent usage rate and guys who are just going to be role players. Like you said, Layman, I think Akoji is made for the playoffs with the way he can defend point of attack and, and attack the rim as a slasher. I think he still needs to get a bit better, but he's still obviously really young, and I, th- I think a Cody would be a guy who could play 15, 20 minutes, 25 minutes on a playoff team, and, and you wouldn't be too concerned about that. Then there's guys like Russell and Towns. I think Towns, even with you know his poorest defense, I think he's way too talented offensively to not be able to make a splash in the playoffs. And I know that the devil's advocate would be, well, he didn't play very well in the, in the one playoff series. He did play, but my response to that would be that they, Houston ran so many doubles at him and just completely disregarded the the other four guys on the court or, or you know, one guy at a time. And that was because Minnesota had no shooting and Towns was a way worse passer out of double teams. And I think... With this roster, say they did make the playoffs this season, you, you couldn't run double teams at Towns every every play, and he wouldn't be sitting in the post every play like he did with Tibbs. I think in a five-out system, uh, Towns would thrive in the playoffs. He'd still be that 25-point-a-night guy who can hit five threes in your face at, at any given time. And um, even with his defense, you still get away with it. And the other the other thing I was thinking about with this question is that it depends what playoff series we're talking about, I guess. Like, I don't know if I trust D'Angelo Russell to, you know, be as good as he can be in the Western Conference Finals if you're playing the Clippers. But do I trust him against, you know, Yorlands in round one or, or something along those lines? Then, yeah, I trust him again. In a, in a, in a first-round playoff series, even a second round, I trust both of those guys pretty pretty fully, but I don't know how far just those two and a bunch of role players can take this team. I think you need one more guy who can who you can roll on to be a, a star in the playoffs to, to get to the finals or to get, you know, to the promised land. But in terms of do I trust them? I, I think yeah, I trust them. They both have a bit of playoff experience. Like you said, this team has more playoff experience than one would imagine. And if they did get to the playoffs next year, I think we wouldn't see any player really play way worse than we used to. Yeah, I I agree. I uh, I'll shift here to question four because um, yep. it's from our guy Jack Borman, uh, recent free agent acquisition for us here at Canis. Um, and at J Borman thirteen, Jack asks, I'm curious to see what the weirdest trade is that you can come up with that actually makes sense for the Wolves. And Jack's uh, example was kind of the Gorgie for James Johnson style of deal. Um, so I'll let you tackle that that one first. Um, I think it's another good question. It's a hard one to kind of come up with. I spent a bit of time on this last night just trying to figure out what kind of deal. Because that James Johnson, Gorgie, James deal was such a, a strange kind of sideways deal that, that worked for both teams, I think. And, and we obviously are big... James Johnson stands over here. So I wanted to find something that I guess was another sideways move that could could work out in the long run. And I, I came up with this one. I know it's not it's not perfect. I don't think any trade is. but And I know we love Malik Beasley. But what about like a, 
a double sign and trade for someone like Evan Fournier for Malik Beasley. I think okay. Uh, I think Malik's got the, the age factor going for him, but Fournier's still only 27. He's got a way longer track record of, of being pretty much the same kind of player that we expect Beasley to be. You know, that 15 to 20 point a night guy, really high volume, high efficiency shooter from three. I think you could probably get him for a little bit cheaper and a little bit um, less years on, on his contract, which is good for a team that, that's obviously cluttered in, in the cap space and needs to be flexible in, in that respect. But I just think, I think if that trade was to happen, I wouldn't be upset. I think uh, Fournier has shown for the last five seasons that he can average over 15 points a game. This year was probably his best year. He averaged, I think, around 19, so like 48% from the field, 40% from three on high volume. He's just one of them guys who's just been a bucket getter for a long time. And I, I think from what I've seen and, and all the metrics that I've looked at, he's a much better defender than Beasley. I know you wouldn't necessarily, you know, look at look at Evan Fournier and say he's a good defender, but I think he's definitely closer to to neutral than Beasley is. Yeah, I, I would agree. So when I when I looked at this question, I was just I had to go back and look at like their payroll for next year. And if you go to like Basketball Reference and you look at the Wolves' salary cap situation for 2020, 2021, it's starting to kind of skew closer to that Rosas idea of basically like studs and duds. So yeah, yeah. you know, obviously Russell and Towns are locked up long term, both making just shy of thirty million. And then the next, the only other, you know, uh, well, how do you want to say it, ten digit salary on there is James Johnson with a $16 million player option. Uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say he's picking that up. Um, but so then I was starting to look around like it, what, what are some kind of, you know, the Gorgie Jang and the James Johnson thing was just essentially two guys getting flipped that made more sense for each team. Um, so Gorgie is yeah. a good fit down there in Memphis for what they're kind of trying to do. And the Wolves love Nas Reed. I mean, that, so that's just like a fact. The, 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 the front office, the team, they love Nas Reed. So getting Gorgie off the team just gave more reps to, to Nas. Um, and, and James Johnson does a lot of the things that I was talking about in that kind of Swiss Army knife guy. Um, but some of the things I came up with is there, there's a really easy kind of swap because you got to have salary to make all this work. So there's an easy swap yeah. with like a James Johnson for uh, maybe a Miles Turner. I mean, the numbers aren't exactly but miles turner's locked up long term maybe you throw in the brooklyn pick you make some things work um and that that's if you go along the the strategy of maybe rosas wants to get another guy in there next to towns i mean miles turner can shoot a little bit um you know he can protect the rim he can rebound um take some of the i love pressure. that i love that fit so yeah I exactly i do too i mean i i don't i i know what they've said publicly uh, about what they want to do with a you know a lead ball handler, three wings in towns, um, I would just caution that that's ex- like that. There's not going to be any flexibility on that. Like I don't think they're going to continuously for this regime go square peg and round hole if that's just proving that it's not working. So maybe they do get a guy like Miles Turner that comes in and can kind of slot next to Towns and just kind of be you know Towns looked really good first for strides on defense. Next to Garnett. Garnett's doing all the kind of the dirty stuff back when Garnett was yeah. here on that second stand. Same with Taj Gibson. That's kind of why Tibbs brought Taj in was just let Taj do all the gross stuff in towns. You can kind of be the focal point on offense, but also have an easier time on defense. So I think Miles Turner's one. 
Um, if you want to honor Jack's question about being weird, you can pretty much just flip James Johnson and Ricky Rubio straight up <laughs> and bring Rubio back. If you, if you do believe in this idea that maybe D'Angelo Russell could shine even more off the ball. Um, I know you've talked about his strength as a spot up shooter. So that would be kind of another weird one. Um, there would be a parade. There would be a parade in the streets for Rosas if he did that. I would hang a banner. Like, I would hang a banner for sure. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, there's there's other guys on that list. Like I said, uh, like a Clint Capella. Obviously, he was just signed in Atlanta. He's probably going to stay. But there's other guys. Like, if you want to just go full weird, do you want to bring in an, uh, Eric Bledsoe? Do you want to bring in, you know, is uh, Bojan Bogdanovic available? Um, just, just trying to, like I said, that James Johnson. I think James Johnson, obviously, is picking up his player option. He's going to be at media day whenever that is in a wolves uniform. But I also just think with how much, you know, Sashin and Gerson focus on assets, I don't think they're just going to let that James Johnson contract unless the team starts out, you know, 24 and 12 and they need James in the playoffs. I don't think you're going to see James Johnson expire with Minnesota. I think they're going to use that salary. And again, we're, we're both lucky enough to, to call Dane a teammate right now. Um, but on his latest podcast, they they start talking about you know a, a Bradley Beal deal, but not necessarily Beal to Minnesota, Beal to Brooklyn, and then using that James Johnson contract with maybe a pick or something, and and stealing a guy like Karis Levert or something, kind of see you know like they did with Malik Beasley up until the Beasley trade. I mean, I don't think anyone he wasn't really on any of our radar. Like you and I knew yeah. of him, but then Rosas brought him in, put him in the in the organization, and he kind of took off. So. There might be some of those kind of lower guys that you don't quite think about that maybe aren't making their full potential either on the court or financially that they just want to bring in, put in their system, familiarize themselves with. I mean, that's a whole Brooklyn establishment over there at Mayo Clinic. Uh, but that, that's another guy. I really like Dane's idea of there. Like maybe the Wolves aren't in the Booker trade or in the Beal trade to get those guys, but maybe they're the third team and they use James Johnson to to bring in some more of these assets. So. Yeah, I think, like you said, that was a really good point, I think, about about Beasley, how they obviously are scouting guys that are, that are more sitting underneath the radar rather than, you know, your, your big names. I think Capella was involved in that deal, but obviously they didn't want Capella, so they, they yep. threw in Covington and they, and they got a pick and they, they you know, plucked Beasley out, out of Denver and... They don't do that, you know, just on a whim. They obviously saw what Beasley could do. They they didn't just bring him in and start him at the two guard because they thought, you know, he's the same player that he was in Denver. So I think there's probably plenty of guys around the league like that where they're they're looking at him thinking, hey, we can make that guy a much better player in our system. And, and you know, if we can get him 30 minutes a night instead of 18 he could be a really good player. And, and like you said, they can get in on a three-team deal or, or a four-team deal that sends a star somewhere and, and Minnesota bring back a guy who's kind of buried on the bench on, on a good team. That would be a really um, a really Rosas and Gupta thing to do, I think. Yeah, I, I just, I and people know this, um, and I'm obviously optimistic. I really like Gerson Rosas. I've had the opportunity to kind of talk to him a couple of times and like sit in on these media calls. And uh, they, they, they know just about as much about all the other rosters as they do about their own. And I mean, they're pretty zoned in on their own roster, but I, that Malik Beasley trade will always stick out to me just because they, there's so many moving pieces and they're just shuffling all these different cards. And for them to go out and grab Beasley, they knew when they grabbed him 
that he just needed more minutes. Like he just needed yeah, he an wasn't opportunity. A, he wasn't a throwing. He wasn't a oh, throwing. Oh no, 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 no. They weren't just gonna flip another pick. I mean, they love assets. They weren't just gonna flip a pick to get a guy that's on a short term. That's why again I really think and the market is gonna probably work itself out in their favor. Um yeah. unless Beasley really bets on himself. But I think he likes it here and I think they like him and I think when they made that deal in February, they knew he's going to be here for a while. Um, and that's the type of stuff, again, going back to Dane's point, I just think whether than always looking at these stars, it's sometimes go look at go look at who the sixth or seventh guy is on a team or maybe the, the fourth highest scorer on a certain team. Those might be the guys that they're trying to get because they, they come with lower cost to acquire as well as pay. But they know that if we just put them in our system, we can turn that 70 cents into a dollar. So. Yeah, and as much as they would love, I think, a, a megastar at any time, like, like any team would, I think they're pretty content that, that Towns is their first option and, that, and they gave up a lot to get D'Angelo Russell as well. So they're obviously pretty content with him as a second or, or even third option if they get someone better. But if they, like you said, turn that 70 cents into a dollar and they get a, a third star or a, another really good complimentary piece, I think that's what they're going for. I don't think they... Are going to move, you know, hell and earth to get Paul George, but they're going to move, you know, a first round pick that has value to get Malik Beasley. And yeah, and again, without kind of just beating this topic to death, I mean, that's one of the reasons that uh, age age still matters here. So, like you said, they're not going to go hunting Paul George or go hunting, you know, like if Kyrie decides to start his own league, they're not going to go get Kevin Durant. I mean, they they want to keep guys in that age range because. They do. They 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 have a they have a period of time where they want to start competing, and it might not be next year. Although I think they'll be good enough to flirt with the playoffs. But yeah, that twenty twenty one season. That's why a guy like Karis LeVert, who's twenty five, kind of fits that model. Um, yeah. So it, it'll be interesting to see. But like you said, they're 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 not done making moves by any means. <laughs> For sure. Um, we'll get into question five, which is from Delusional Wolves Optimist at Optimist Wolves. What do you think? Gerson realistically would like to have addressed come the start of next season, e.g. top priorities. What percentage of the roster do you see as complete? Um, well, I, without being a hot take, I don't necessarily... I think, if Ger, I think if Gerson Rosas, if there's a path to be better, every single player is available. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I, yeah. I just think that's his 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 model. So I mean, I don't I don't want not that I don't think anyone's aggregating our pod, but like I don't think Towns and Russell are on the trade block. But I just think if there's a way for him to be better, that player is available. With that said, obviously Towns and Russell are going to be here for a while. He's invested way too much into both of them to let them go. But outside of that, I really don't think there's another player that's untouchable. I think from when you talk to people that they really love Josh Okogi. Um, his salary helps because he's not getting paid that much money. And you don't have to necessarily have five elite shooters on the court. I'm not I'm not trying to say the Wolves are Golden State, but you know, it's not like Draymond Green ever lit the net on fire as a shooter.
but he just brought so many other things that complemented his teammates. Um, yeah. So I would throw, if it was me, I would throw a Kogi in there as kind of that third piece that, I don't want to say the untouchable, because clearly Josh Kogi's not untouchable, but they love him as a dude, as an off-the-court leader. He's only 21, but I think he does a lot of what they're going to need. I think he could be their P.J. Tucker in a sense. You know, P.J. Tucker's not a flamethrower, but he's just tough, and he is the guy that's sick on the best offensive player for the other team. So a Kogi would be in there. Maybe Beasley, um, but again, everyone else is is available. Um, and to answer the other part of that question of what do you think is the top priority, obviously the defense sucks. Like you've written about it, everyone's written about it. I I I would imagine that'll be the f- a top priority, but I think the top first priority is just asset accumulation, just continuously yeah. bringing in better players. And then figuring out, I mean, Houston, does, at not, I know Gerson wants to distance himself from what happened in Houston or what they did, but Houston just constantly brought in, we want talent, 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 and then we'll kind of give the ingredients to the coaching staff and f- see if they can figure out how to get stops or to make it work. You know, I mean, they've entered seasons where it's like, how is that going to work? And then they, you know, they flip their center for another wing in Rocco and they're just, we're just going to make it work. So I don't think... Rosas is like, hey, I have to have a top 10 defensive team by Christmas. Like, I don't think that's how he thinks. I think he just wants to get as many talented players as possible, as many assets while remaining flexible so that, again, like you said, developing Culver, developing a Kogi, developing Nas Reed so that if that next James Harden becomes available and it might make your team worse defensively, he's going to do it. And then he'll figure out the rest. He'll go look in the G League. He'll go sign minimum contract guys that can play defense. So I think the priority this summer, this fall, is just finding more talent. Yeah, I, I had something very similar down. I think, like you said, you obviously they're not going to be opposed to, to getting someone who can who can defend the perimeter or, or help next to Towns to kind of, you know, cover some of the holes that he leaves in a defense. But... They're not going to, I think, turn down talent. Like you said, that if they get a guy who's a really good offensive player and then he, you know, plays the first 20 games and he's clearly above Malik Beasley in the pecking order, then maybe teams come calling for Malik Beasley and then you get the guy who's a really good defender. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not just to pick someone from free agency or, or pick someone in a trade right now. It's more just like you said, talent acquisition, build that talent up, trust in the the development process that they've shown with with guys like Reed and and guys like Culver, even who who did get better throughout the season. Okoji, Be- Beasley, especially you know, like they've shown that they can they can throw guys into roles that that will help them succeed. And if that means that you have to get a player who doesn't quite fit, but then you can flip him for another player, or you can flip. You know, one of the players who are already on the roster who become irrelevant now or more irrelevant. Um, that's the kind of thing that they're going to do. Like you said, they don't want to be Houston North, but that's what Houston did. And, and that seems to be what Rosas has shown so far. He's just going to get as many high-level talents and, and trade chips, I guess, as he can. And then he's going to just work out, work it out from there. Give it to, to Saunders. Like you saw at the start of last season... They didn't get D'Angelo Russell, and instead of, you know, going and spending that money elsewhere or trying to flip Wiggins for another guy who they didn't think was was someone who would fit their team properly, 
they just got guys on one-year deals. And then at the trade deadline, they just, you know, put a bunch of TNT and the team blew the whole thing up. And that's what I think he'll continue to do. Not maybe to that extent, but he'll continue to just get players he thinks he can move for other players. Just move them chess pieces around the board. Yep. Yeah. Until, until they get the, you know, the, the winning hand or the winning, I don't know, I don't play chess, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and I just, I, I'm sure that there are times where you could, someone could push back and say, well, what about this scenario? But I really think in any sport, um, basketball and football specifically, I just, I, I believe that drafting for fit is just a bad philosophy nine times out of 10. Um, obviously the Wolves have some glaring holes. So like there are some guys in this draft that can really defend and would be great, but I just don't think Minnesota is in a position where we can enter the off season. And be like, well, you know, that power forward spot is, is lacking. Like I think this new regime is so forward thinking that again, I just, I don't even think they use the terminology power forward. I just, they, they want talent. And if that, if for stretches of games that, that four spot or that wing is just Jarrett Culver, Josh Akogi, but it makes them, it makes it work. I don't, I, like I said, they don't want to be Houston North. I don't think they're going to go five small and have, you know, Josh Akogi be their center, but I just, I don't think they're going to prioritize fit right now. I just think they look and their cupboard is still too bare for them to start worrying about, you know, what utensils they're going to eat with. It's like, no, nah, dude, we just need to get food. Like we food. need to get ingredients. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that, that, that's, and I, I think that's what will happen. I think you'll see that, that this summer. So, uh, that was question five, right? Are we on a six? Yeah. Well, we're fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I wanted to ask you this one. So this is from Marty Grimble, uh, at Kate in the hat, cat in the hat. Wow. Good reading. Cat in the hat 187. <laughs> Why are people not keen for James Wiseman? Uh, shooting has been addressed. Uh, big issues now are rim protection and rebounding. And surely he could help with this. I don't see how playing two bigs is a problem. Cat shoots so well, it doesn't really affect the spacing. And bringing in a defensive presence like that would be the fastest way to improve the defense. So again, why why do you think, including I think yourself, why are people not so high on James Wiseman? Yeah, well, I know we both probably have a, a few different views on this, which I think is good, but... There's a few things that stand out to me with Wiseman. Uh, obviously, it needs to be prefaced with the fact that he played three games of college. <laughs> and like uh, you can go watch his high school tape, and I think high school tape is informative to a degree, but it's also against you know way lower competition levels. Yeah. And, and especially when you're a seven-foot-one dude with like a seven-foot-six wingspan, you, you need to have more of those reps, I think, against guys. So at least kind of your size and you aren't just like this huge, you know, adult in a, in a room of kids and you can just bully everyone. So that, that needs to be said at the start. I can't, I don't think anyone can make a, a perfect evaluation on Wiseman, but from what I've seen and from, from kind of, you know, the way I like to evaluate talent, the things that stand out for me with Wiseman are, first of all, I don't think he is the defender that, that maybe the common man thinks he is. I think, the block shots and, and the, the crazy athleticism and, and, and huge wingspan and stuff, I think that glosses over a lot of holes elsewhere. I think he's a really bad pick-and-roll defender. He seems just lost yeah. in even, you know, the most basic pick-and-roll coverages. He doesn't know when it, whether to drop or to hedge. I think sometimes he just ends up in the middle looking like, you know, a, a lost dog 
looking for its owner. <laughs> and then and then he's I think like he's a he doesn't move his feet very well, he doesn't move his hips well, he doesn't he doesn't turn laterally, move laterally. He's obviously a crazy vertical athlete which helps him, you know, recover more often than, than say someone like a Carl Anthony Towns who also has some of the some of the same problems. I think I think in the NBA he's gonna be a really big stocks guy. I, I don't think this is a perfect comparison, but maybe someone like like Hassan Whiteside stands out to me where like Whiteside will get twelve blocks in a game, but then you'll speak to Portland fans and they yeah. they'll say like they don't want Wise uh, Whiteside on their team because he just gives up too many points and then you you watch him you know, in, in a single game in, you know, March against Minnesota and he blocked Angelo Russell nine times in a game and you're like, what do you mean he's not a crazy defender? I think that's the kind of thing that you'll see with Wiseman when he gets to the NBA where he just kind of, he does he does put up big numbers and he's not an awful defensive player, but I think there's definitely holes in his game that go further than blocking shots. And then secondly... Obviously, that's just the the defensive fit. I still think he's probably like going back to defense. I still think he's probably he'd be the best rim protector on this team if he if he was to be drafted by Minnesota. But I don't think he'd make a defense better. I think they'd probably be just as bad defensively with him, or you know, only slightly better. I don't think he's the kind of guy who just comes in and and fixes your defense. You know what I mean? He's not. Um, it's not Kawhi Leonard or, or he's not a Rudy Gobert type of defender where he's just like insane IQ. I think he's more of a, a stocks guy at the moment. And then offensively, I just don't think he's a good fit next to Towns. I know that's what he's saying. Why isn't he a good fit next to Towns? But he doesn't, he's a good rim runner, which is good. I think that can space the floor, you know, with, with guys zoning off their man to try and tag the roller and, um, creating open shots on the perimeter. But he's not a good passer. If he does get it on the roll, he's not going to, you know, like, kick the ball out to the corner. He's very single-minded when it comes to scoring. He loves his um, his jump shot, his jump shot, which is strange because he's not a very good shooter. And I think, you know, he probably... He will probably next season, you know, be sat on the bench more than once for shooting shots that that a team doesn't want him to take. And then I just don't think he... He doesn't space the lane very well. Like, obviously, he's a, a big dude who can't really shoot, but sometimes, you need, even as a rim runner, like, even your Clint Capellas and guys like that, I think when they, when they aren't, like, rolling towards the rim, they kind of sit along the baseline outside the dunker spot. And I noticed with Wiseman a lot here, he'll just kind of loiter around in, in the paint or, or right on the block. And that just clogs up that whole five-out kind of offense that you're looking for. Like, Towns is obviously a great shooter, but Towns also needs a block to work on. He needs space in the lane to, to drive past dudes. I think Towns gets pigeonholed as just, just shooting big man. Whereas Towns, I think probably even maybe his, his biggest strength is that his gravity as a shooter pulls defenders closer to him, and then he can use his really you know, quick feet and, and, and ball handling for a big to get past them and get to the rim. And that's where I think he's unstoppable. And if you've got a guy standing in the lane, I mean, we saw it with, with Gordy Jeng when, when Jeng and Towns played together. It's just not a good not a good look to, to block up the lane and 
right now you want to maximize Towns in all aspects offensively. And I just don't think Wiseman's that guy. So I want I want this on the record. I want to let everyone know that what you just said, like Jake is right. Like you, you've written about him, like everything you just said, you're right. My old, so I don't really have much of a counter to that other than just <laughs> to be a devil's advocate. Um, James Wiseman turned 19 on March 31st. So he has yeah, been 19. No, no, I'm just want. I just want to counter that because everything you said. Yeah, is right. but I, I and I am being a bit harsh on a guy who is 19, and I think it's not like he's a second round pick. Like he'll he'll go in the top 10, and I have him in my top 20. But they're the problems I see with him on this team. And and I think and you again you just correct me when I'm wrong because I'm far less educated on this. But like I think with all due respect to like Lamelo Ball and Anthony Edwards, I think James Weissman's probably the most controversial pick. Because people yeah. just have, I mean, if you, I mean, again, LaMelo Ball was overseas and Anthony Edwards was in a bad team. But I mean, like, we basically have 45 minutes of college tape on James Wiseman. Otherwise, yeah. we're forced to watch what he did in high school. Um, and again, this is not breaking news, but like, we've talked about this. This is a quote unquote bad draft, but that doesn't mean that everyone is bad. Like, there, you go back and historically look, bad drafts still have all star players. Um, yeah. But for what you know, it's not perfect. So yeah, there are there are no more Carlton Towns in this draft. There's no Joel Embiid, um, but you have guys like Wiseman, who you said is kind kind of is like the best of both worlds. You know, he he can defend. He's not. He's like you said he might be more of a, a box score defender. Where like you said, the, the Hassan Whiteside analogy was so perfect because I'm out here in Portland and play people just hate him because yeah, he'll block eight. He'll have you know 22, 14, and eight blocks. But it, just watch the game. Like, he was just yeah. not – he doesn't win basketball games. Yeah, he blocked a bunch of shots. He doesn't win basketball games. Um, but if you're looking for a big and you're looking to address that hole, because I think we're both on the same page that there is a hole next to Carl Anthony Towns. He needs an anchor uh, to help his defense, to help his rebounding. Um, it, I think Wiseman's the best. Like, again, I, I don't want – I didn't mean to attack you on the 19. It's just like – He's been 19 for no, no. two months. He can't drink for two years. Like, there's a lot <laughs> of develop. The, the dude is basically just came from high school. I mean, he really did. He's been working on his body. I know he's been training down in Miami with uh, David Alexander. I think his name is. He's the guy that trains a lot of athletes, including like he was Wade's guy for the longest time. Um, yeah. But um. But you know, if you, if you don't like him, who's kind of a a mixture of offense and defense, you know, like I think you've read about him too. Like Obi Toppin, he can't defend. He's not going to no. be able to go next to Towns, but he gives you some more offense. Um, I, I always mess this name up, but Onyeka Akungwu can give you that defense, but he's not going to give you really a lick of offense. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, you're reaching again. I, I, I will say, I think from, and again, I am not Darren Wolfson or John Krasinski or anyone, but I get to this opportunity. I get to talk to a couple people. I know the Wolves like James Wiseman. Now I'm sure they like everyone. They like LaMelo Ball. They like Anthony Edwards. Um, but it would be interesting to see them wherever they fall in this draft in the lottery. If they did take him, it would really, it would probably be the most interesting move they've made since Rosas arrived because it would clearly be telling you we're, we're adjusting on the fly to what we've been trying to sell everyone on what our style is going to be. So yeah. drafting James Wiseman to me would not, I wouldn't say it's a mistake. I just think it would be an admittance of, We've seen Towns play defense enough that we think he needs a buddy. 
Um, and we think yeah. James Wiseman is the best buddy that we can give him. So, uh, again, you're the draft guy. I'm just, I'm just your friend. But uh, <laughs> I think, I think people are going to continue to say all summer, and when we get to August in the lottery, that this is a bad draft. But I just think it's bad because it, it didn't help that we didn't get to watch March Madness. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that didn't help. It didn't help that Lamelo Ball was overseas, and it's hard to get you know like tape on him. It didn't help that James Wiseman just left college. Um, it would have been you know th- this whole draft might have been an easier thing if you would have seen James Wiseman just go full Greg Oden and just lead his team through March Madness. Like that would have been really helpful. We don't have that obviously, but um, I I, I do I know the Wolves have a great scouting department and they're on top of this. Um, and they'll probably hire you soon, but I just I think. <laughs> I like his potential because, again, you have to be more than an athlete in the NBA. I mean, there are a lot of athletes that can't play a lick of NBA basketball. But I think he possesses things that could complement Towns that some of the other bigs. I mean, this is one of the – I don't know if you've ever talked about this, but this is one of, like, the shorter drafts ever. Like, if you ever look at a mock draft, I think there's four dudes 6'10 or taller that are going in the top 30. So, like – that in of itself, I think James Wiseman is the only seven footer mocked in the first round. Like those things kind of matter. Um, and if they had the ability to add him to Towns, um, I think I just believe in their development. I don't really believe in their roster right now. I believe in the front office, but I believe that the Wolves' biggest core competency is I think they know how to develop young guys, and I think they could do a lot with a guy who's essentially, you know, a, a high school senior. So yeah. And I think, I guess, to push back on my own point about about Wiseman, I, or about um, Whiteside, sorry, it's kind of like there's a lot different as well. Like that was the example I used for for the the shot blocking, but he's also a ridiculous athlete, Wiseman. Like there's no yeah, yeah. getting around, there's no getting around that. Like he gets up and down the court as good as any seven foot one dude you'll ever see does, and he he can jump out the gym. He can, you know what I mean? Like, he's, Whiteside's like a lumbering big dude who's athletic around the rim, whereas Whiteside, uh, sorry, Wiseman, they're pretty much the exact same name, um, <laughs> can just get up the floor like a true rim-running athletic big. And I think, we don't know, like you said, we don't know what he's been working on or, or how good he's become at, at certain things, you know, in this three-month break that he's had where he hasn't been able to show anyone publicly what he's doing. Like, he might come, I think, he might come in first game of the season and hit three threes, and all of a sudden, his potential goes from, you know, here to up here. And then I'm kind of thinking, like, maybe I was wrong about about Wiseman, because if he can shoot threes, which he does have a nice-looking jumper, but he he's definitely not, like, there from, from what I've seen in at Memphis and, and in high school. But if he comes in and he's shooting threes at thirty five percent, and then he's, you know, blocking those shots, and even if he does have those same kind of deficiencies defensively, then you're like, all right, he he he's got a way higher potential. And either way, even if he's not, you still, if you're drafting him, you're banking on your your I guess coaches and and defensive coordinators to be able to to work that stuff out that the, the positional defense and the pick and roll coverage so if they do draft him like you said like if they draft him it'll be a shock to me but more because of 
the mantra that, that they've given out so far. And if they did draft him, like you said, that's almost an, an admittance of not defeat, but but yeah, like we need to change and we need to do something different. And, and then I think they'd have to change the whole system around that. And and I, I should I want to take this because like guys like me that are a little more eye test and rely on guys like you or Dane and stuff that are a little more analytic based. Um, I, I think what you just said was really important. Like if you go look at the yeah, I think Hassan Whiteside led the led the league in blocks this year. Um, I like I think it was like over three a game. But like I don't think anyone really considers Hassan Whiteside a good defender. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that that's where it's like. You know, the, when you say the Wolves need someone to protect the rim because Towns doesn't really do it or he's too foul-prone, um, just blocking shots doesn't really make you a good a good defender. I mean, like, I think that the, I'm looking yeah. up now on NBA.com, like, the two top guys for blocks per game are Hassan Whiteside and Brooke Lopez. I don't think you're building a good defense around either of those guys. Now, either both of those guys provide value, and we're on playoff-ridden or Orlando-bound teams, um, but it's not just all about defense i mean mitchell robinson blocks a lot of shots um but he's just so unpolished that he doesn't really do much else um and it just it's crazy because i think if this draft is better you see a guy like white like if this draft is loaded and it's a 2009 draft with you know the hardens and curries and blake griffins like weisman probably slides and then he's a much better pick at uh, uh, you know with the brooklyn pick probably like 16 Oh, at 16, you, I'd be very happy with him. Right, and, and of course, we both know he's not going to fall that way, but it's just like, you know, sometimes those Rudy Gobert's of the world, like, you do like guys that are athletic. Being athletic doesn't mean you're going to be good, but it does help. <laughs> like, it does yeah. allow you to do things that other guys just simply, you know, like, Tosh Gibson would defend circles around James Wiseman because of, you know, age and experience, but there are just things that day one, James Wiseman can do that Tosh Gibson couldn't do in a million years. And that, yeah. you know, so again, going back to the development thing, like if you can get him in and you can just, again, kind of like Anthony Edwards, be like, hey, man, you don't ever have to worry about a shot. You're going to you're gonna get a lot of, you know, finishes at the rim. Um, there's so much score or shooting around you that you're going to get a lot of putbacks, a lot of offensive rebounds. And then we just want you to be the anchor of our defense. But we're going to provide you some help. We're going to get keep Josh Kogi and Jared Culver out there. Um, I just am intrigued by him. I just, I don't know what it is. I just have this arousal for players that we don't really know anything about them, but we're kind of already, not you and I, but we're already kind of shitting on them. And it's like, I think this yeah. guy has a chance under the right system. Again, if he goes to another one, I don't really believe in anything Cleveland does. So if he goes to a Cleveland, he might just wither away and try yeah. to you know, be behind Andre Drummond and not really get a chance and then lose confidence and suck and be out of the league. Um, but I, I think he has more chances to lean towards a Rudy Gobert without being Gobert, I'm terrible at player comps, then he is going to be like a Hashim beat. Like, I just don't see it. I think yeah. he's too athletic. I think he's too springy. I think he can polish an offensive game. Um, so, so again, but, but, but I understand why you being one of them is just not as high on him. I think, like, again, I don't think he is going to be Anthony Davis level's defensive presence <laughs> any time in his career, ever. Yeah. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think there's, just to finish up on that, I think there's definitely, that he's probably going to end up somewhere in the middle. I mean, there's guys who have him 25th on their board, and there's guys who have him second, and I think your best bet is to just kind of think he's probably going to be a lottery talent in the right situation. He might be better in a, in a worse situation. He might be worse. So he's one of them players, if Minnesota take a chance on him, I'll be... All in, but I will stand by the fact that I don't think he is the best pick, especially 
I like to think about it a lot this way is that like a top five pitch, like you're paying them six to nine million a year for for the first four years at least. I'm not 100% on the numbers, but they're at least, you know what I mean, over like six, seven million every season for those first four years. But if you're paying a, a lottery guy, are you, you're paying a 16th pick three million a year. That's a big difference, especially if they don't turn out to be very good. Yeah, and I'm with you. And again, too, like, even though I just kind of almost stand for him, um, I just, I there's so much more to defense than blocking shots. And and you know that better than I do. But, you know, there's just, for every, you know, great defender, for every Rudy Gobert, there's six Willie Cauley-Steins. That just, yeah. if they don't ever yeah. develop an offensive game, I mean, defense is important, shot blocking is important, but, I mean, they're... They're just as unplayable as your guards that can't score. You know what I mean? Like you have to. He has to develop into something offensively. He can't just be a you know like again the Willie Cauley Steins of the world or the I can't even think of another good one. But just like even like Jackson Hayes a little bit. Like he didn't yeah. to me show a lot in his first year. Granted, it was a smaller year, but um, like you said, if you're gonna in the top five, you just got to draft guys that obviously have high high floors, but you got to have high higher ceilings. And I think that's probably to answer Marty Grimble's question. I think people see him as having a lower ceiling or oh, sorry, a lower floor than other guys. Like he could really bust out. And you're just looking at a guy who three or four years from now is looking for a one year deal. To stay in the league. And that would suck. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's let's hit question uh, seven. Or did you have someone, something else? No, no, no. I'll go. I'll go question seven. Okay. So um, there's my friend, my friend Remy. Who's oh, nice. at Rem underscore wah. Uh He says, thoughts on Aaron Gordon and his potential fit in mini. What does it take to get a deal done slash what would you be willing to give up? So I'll let you... I covered this a fair bit last week with, with Jack, so I'll get yeah. your opinion first and, and then I'll give my opinion after that. <sighs> yeah, and whatever I say is not going to be nearly as good because you, you and Jack crushed it last week. Um, I mean, Aaron Gordon is good. Um, like I, I, he's a good basketball player. Uh, he has holes, but again, if you're Minnesota or if you're any team, like you don't really get to acquire guys that are perfect. I mean, it just yeah. especially if you're Minnesota, like that's just not how this happens. I mean, I really think highly of D'Angelo Russell, and he has a bleep ton of flaws, and that's why the Wolves were able to get him. Um, yeah, I, I think the Wolves, kind of going back to the Wiseman question, like pairing him next to Towns, I think the Wolves see Gordon as a better fit. Um, just yeah. based on the fact that like he's a little more wing than he is center, so he could you know he could be that athletic four next to Towns. Um, he can technically shoot three pointers. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say he's good at it, um, but I mean yeah, I, I think he. And again, too, if you look at that Orlando roster, I mean, I think people already forget that like you know uh, Nikola Vucevic re-upped with them on a four year deal when he was rumored to be leaving so they have him and they have Jonathan Isaac who I think we're both huge fans of but then like Mo Bamba's there like they just they have a gluttony of of bigs um yeah and so they have to make a they have to make a decision on one of those guys yeah yeah so I mean I would rather go for the cheaper guy obviously this is me being selfish but like a Mo Bamba or Jonathan Isaac would be fun just because I think they have higher potential and we haven't really seen them I mean they've been kind of stacked on the on their uh, bigs down there. But um, my thoughts on Aaron Gordon are just, I, I think he'd be an upgrade, but I don't, I wonder if the price for him is a lot lower than we think. 
that would be the one thing I would say is like, I don't think because you've seen him in a couple dunk contests and maybe your dad is familiar with his name that he is going to take a lot to acquire. Like you said, Orlando has to do something. They, I'd be shocked if they enter the season next year with those four guys on the roster. Um, yeah. So they're going to have to move them. So like, I don't know. To answer the second part of that question, would you would, would f- factoring in the money and getting Sasha in here to do all his wizardry stuff? Like, would you flip Jarrett Culver for him? Uh, uh, I think I would probably. I think he's a better. I I don't think Jarrett Culver at the obviously there's unlimited potential with Culver, and I think there's still potential to be tapped into with with Gordon as well. Cause he's only twenty four years old as well, but I don't think Culver will ever fit this team in the same way as as Gordon does currently, unless he becomes a way better shooter than, than Gordon is, which I don't think that will happen either. I think Gordon only shot 30% from three this year, but he shot 35% the year before. Like, Orlando have had terrible spacing and terrible playmaking guards for pretty much, you know, the entirety of, of his tenure there. So I think, like you said, I'm not sure what they asked for him. I think... You could probably start with the with the sixteenth pick and, and James Johnson to make salaries work, and maybe that, you know, gets gets it over the line. Maybe they think, well, look, we need to, we need to move him, and, you know, like, the decision has to be made, like we said. So a, a mid first rounder, and and the guy who can who can come in and and play fifteen to twenty minutes a night and not demand, you know, the, the thirty minutes a night that that Vucevic and and Gordon and Isaac all demand, maybe that's a good deal. Maybe they take that. But I think they'd definitely ask for Culver. I, I, I'd I, probably do it. I'd probably regret it when Culver becomes good in, in five years away from Minnesota. But I'm, I'm really high on the Gordon fit, higher than I think most people that I've spoken to, pretty much everyone it, that it, I've spoken to. And, you know, something that's interesting, and I don't mean to be, like, sarcastic here, but I think, and I haven't looked this up, but I think Aaron Gordon has somehow played or participated in 26 dunk contests and he's only 24 <laughs> that's that's like a that's like a major thing to me is like i you know prepping for this i was bl- blown away at aaron gordon's age just simply the fact yeah. that like i thought i would have bet a million dollars that he the dude was sniffing 26 27 i know that's not a huge deal but again i i will say that one of the few things i know in my heart is that rosas is building something and age matters so yeah. he might, he, when, when, if if this team is ever good and they ever contend or they're frisky in the playoffs, they might have an old wily vet, a Tayshawn Prince, a James Johnson that is helping defend and play instance. But that core is going to all have the same age range. That's a fact. Um, again, it goes back to my whole: they're not going to go get the Durants and Paul Georges of the world that are kind of outside of that window. So Gordon being twenty four is probably my biggest reason. I'd be like, okay. Um, I also think, too, that if, if you can get him at the right price and Orlando's just like, hey, we want to move this guy, we want to pick because everyone's aroused by picks and we just want to have more playing time for our young guys. Um, the question I would ask is, like, is there some Malik Beasley there? And I don't mean that by game or style of play at all, but just like, is that another guy that Gerson and, and his team thinks he's just not getting the right opportunities? He's just not getting yeah. fed in the right spots? And if we can bring him in here, he can – I don't think you can ever – I don't think you could ever be an all-star because, again, the West is just too loaded. But he's like, he's 24. Like, I don't know. Maybe you can kind of pimp him up enough that at 27, 
he gets that last spot in an all-star game three years down the road. Um, so the shooting thing kind of worries me. Um, I, I also, and I, I'm, I'm just taking these from my friends who are much better at all this than I am, but like, I don't I think you listened to Dane and Britt's latest pod, but Britt referred to Aaron Gordon as basically the Zach Levine of power forwards, which I cannot get out of my brain. It's just like <laughs> I, I wired and just, and I think he meant in a way that he's just wired that, you know, he flashy, um, you know, big dunks, offensive game. But, you know, is he just, is he, is he like a winner? You know, like I think Zach Levine is one yeah. of my, I love his work ethic, but I also, you got to wonder after a while, like if you have so much work ethic, but you never improve on defense, do you have the right work ethic? You know? Yeah. <laughs> um. So that's with Aaron Gordon. Like if you bring a guy like Aaron Gordon in, he's probably that third star. Like I wouldn't imagine that you bring a guy like Aaron Gordon in and then you're also sniffing around Bradley Beal and Devin Booker. I think that would be kind of your third guy. And then, and then Rosas would be, okay, here's my trio, and then I'm going to build around it. Um, but I, I had never thought of it like that, even though listening to you and Jack. Like, if you can do it in a sense where you're flipping the Brooklyn pick and some salary um, and keeping Culver, not because I think Culver is going to win them a title, but I just think Culver – that should have been another question we talked about. Uh, I think Culver started to come on when everyone had turned the TV off. Uh towards the end of the season, which the season ended in, you know, March. Um, I still hold out hope. I hold, hold out hope for Jared Culver. I would buy stock. Yeah, and in so him. do I. Um, so, so I do don't I. know if I would flip him for Gordon unless I got a little more back from Orlando. But I don't know, man. If you can call it in and you can say Brooklyn pick James Johnson and something frisky for Aaron Gordon, um, I I don't know how you turn that down now that I, now that I think about it. So, touche, you win. You, you talked me into that one. <laughs> yeah, and maybe they... Maybe they like throw in thirty three, and like if they if Orlando are, are on the edge at um at sixteen and and Johnson maybe you throw in thirty three and you try and keep Culver. I think Johnson, I think or Gordon, sorry, is the kind of acquisition where I think you need to still make a few moves to to make it a good one. Like I think you need to get a little bit more shoot. Like right now, like Marty Grimble said before, you know, shooting's not the biggest issue at the moment, even though. They'll always look for shooters, but I think once if you get Gordon and you're playing him 30 minutes a night, all of a sudden you might need a little bit more shooting again. So maybe you're drafting a shooter in that scenario. You know what I mean? Like I think he's the kind of guy where you you don't obviously build your team around him, but I think you need to make a few other acquisitions that kind of balance out his flaws because he can't. Sh- if he could shoot, he would be a great player. It, that's my opinion. I think. He is an awesome cutter. Like I've got it here. I said it last week, but 86 percentile for cuts per cuts per game, 83rd percentile on field goal percentage on cuts, which was 79 percent. He ranked 66 percentile for screen assists, 72nd percentile for points per possession as a role man. He averaged like four assists a game. He he dribbled the ball up a ton for for Orlando, which obviously isn't you know, what you want him doing, especially with someone like D'Angelo Russell. But, like, he's that kind of guy who can who can rip a rebound and, and and run out and transition. And this team wants to play fast. They've stated it a trillion times that they want to play fast. And I think Gordon's kind of that that link player where he can he can provide quickness, off-ball movement. You know, he's a, he's a great cutter. He's a good rebounder. He's, a I think, a way better defender than he's given credit for. I mean... He's versatile defensively. He can guard probably, you know, threes, fours, and, and, and some fives. And then I wouldn't have, you know, nightmares about him 
when he's getting switched in pick and rolls onto ones and twos, he he can block. Shea's not a huge shot blocker, but he's still athletic enough where he can protect the rim and and kind of help from the weak side. I just think he's a a really good fit, even aside from the shooting. Like I think, like I said with with the last question with Wiseman, he's the got kind of player who I bring in even though they don't shoot very well. Not not the Wiseman type. I think the guy who can still fit that kind of, you know, one-point guard, three wings, one center mold and do a lot of other things on offense that aren't shooting three-pointers, I think that's when you can get away with a guy who, who's not as good as a shooter. You know, I absolutely, you know me, like I'm stubborn. Like I absolutely hate what you've done because you've convinced me. And like, I'm just, <laughs> as you're talking and making really good points, I was just messing around on basketball reference. And like, so obviously his best shooting his best season was 17-18. He shot 34% from three on six attempts a game. Yeah, um, yeah see, he, I thought that was last season. But yeah, yeah, so that was so that was 2017-2018, and then 2018-2019, he shot 35% on four and a half attempts. And then, uh, he, yeah. And then yeah, go look at the team. Like, they they, he, they didn't have a lot. I mean, uh, Nikola Vucevic, I thought, was really interesting, like how he became Brooke Lopez in the type that he was just jacking threes. But outside of him, like, they didn't have a lot of good shooters. Like, yes, Terrence Ross, yes, Evan Fournier. But, like, when you bring Markel Fultz into the fold, you're taking away a big chunk of floor spacing. Because that yeah, dude's you, not I watched that. I watched the game the other day, the, the two Minnesota-Orlando games towards the, the back end of the season. And, like, Janjo Russell is going four meters under screens on Markel <laughs> Fultz. Like, like, literally, like, going into the paint. And I don't think that's just Russell being a bad defender. Like, it was clearly schemed and like that's the kind of thing that just like destroys spacing and and I don't, and again this shout out to my friends at basketball reference but i don't know if you have seen this but like it's kind of weird the way some of these contracts are structured where so aaron gordon making 20 million this year but then he makes only 18 next year and then 16 the year after that yeah um, and that's big that's big for this team like if, that's a big difference it's it's a thousand percent guarantee that that has been on their radar you know, like yeah. as as Towns goes from you know twenty eight to thirty to thirty two, and then Russell or Russell, I should say, and then Towns goes thirty, thirty one, thirty three, thirty five. As he gets raises, you know, if Gordon Aaron Gordon is on our team and he's taking essentially pay cuts every year, I mean, you're basically it's still a net, you know, a net. So as Towns goes up, Gordon goes down. That's a big deal. I mean, Aaron yeah. Gordon, for his flaws in twenty twenty one, twenty twenty two, is making seven million dollars more than Jarrett Culver will be making. So yeah. as much as I believe in Jared Culver still, I mean, that is an elephant in the room of two years from now. Jared Culver is making pretty good money. So I think he could develop. I don't want to get rid of him. Let's try to use the other assets here. Um, and for our friends in Orlando, God forbid, we don't need to give them a Markel Fultz-Jared Culver backcourt because I think that would be brutal. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I'm with you. I am, I am going to cede this to you and say that if you, as my GM, can make it work where you're using the Brooklyn pick and then some some money and I don't know, maybe get frisky and throw in a second. Aaron Gordon might, might be the best you can do. And it fits your time and it fits your cap and it allows you to keep Malik Beasley. And I mean, I don't know. Let's just say hypothetically Christmas day, your lineup is D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Josh Akogi, Aaron Gordon, Conley Towns, and then whatever that sick or whatever that lottery pick is. Um, and let's say, I, like that. I mean, I don't know what that team physically does. I don't know if that's the if Ryan Saunders is the right Fun guy to coach hell, but, but I mean, yeah, that is the funnest team 
even outside, I, I hate Tom Thibodeau, but like even outside of he put together a semi-competitive roster, but it's probably the best, funnest team this this franchise has ever had. And you still have flexibility. I mean, you can still move a guy like a Kogi on a rookie deal. You could still move a Culver. You'd be bringing off the bench possibly the top pick in the draft if it's LaMelo yeah. Ball or Anthony Edwards. So uh, I'm sad. Now, because I—that's all I want—is Aaron Gordon. I have convinced myself throughout this. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think yeah, he fits. I've convi- over the last few weeks, I've convinced myself way too much on Aaron Gordon, and that, like he won't end up in Minnesota, and I'll be disappointed for no good reason. So, so yeah, I mean, like I said, take take that starting five I said, and then throw in a a Culver, a Jake Lehman, a Nas Reed. Uh, let's say they sign Jordan McLaughlin, and then a, and then whatever that first pick is. Let's just say they keep the lottery pick and they draft a guy. That's a. I don't know. Maybe I'm just drunk off the Kool-Aid, but that is like a pretty good team. <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think that's I think that's the kind of move you need to not cement yourself in the playoffs by any means, but at least like get right in the hunt. That's like I said before. I think they need to make a few moves before they uh, playoff worthy. I think right now they're probably like a tenth or eleventh seed. But I think Gordon, you know, especially if you unlock him a bit more, all of a sudden like. Maybe you are the eighth seed, or maybe you know things break your way, and you and you beat you win the tiebreaker against New Orleans or or, or OKC, and you're the sixth seed, and then all of a sudden, you know the the fans are back in the building, and the you know that's a, the pipe dream, you know best case scenario, but like that's the stuff that you know you've got to swing for, and and it's probably outside of like that a uh, couple of years ago when they had Wiggins and Levine on like their really young ages, and they did like that dunks. Dunks after dark thing, and it was a really college vibe. Yeah. It's probably the most athletic team they've ever had. I mean, like, yeah. it, well, actually, probably not athletic because anytime Zach Levine's on your team, he's the most athletic guy. But um, <laughs> it's a really athletic team. And if you start to play with the pieces of this, and let's say you keep your lottery pick and you have that starting five, I think Rosas would still be able to do what he does best. And like, if it just doesn't work after a year and a half, you, can, you, you, you can put Aaron Gordon and Malik Beasley. And maybe Anthony Edwards in a deal to go get, um, so, you know, whoever the next disgruntled 25-year-old is or 26-year-old. Like, you can pair yeah. all of these guys together in other moves. And it doesn't – I think to, to kind of sum up my whole rant here is, like, if you go get Aaron Gordon and you keep your lottery pick, you can be better and still flexible. It's not like, okay, well, shit, this is the team for the 2020s. No, you could probably still move guys. Like, you can – Pair the yeah. salaries of Beasley and Gordon. Go frisk around and see who, you know, uh, this is just me being optimistic. But yeah, maybe Anthony Davis is pissed that the Lakers are bad in three years. And <laughs> you, know, you can just do so many things. Um, but again, that goes back to whatever, question three or four. I think that no matter what the player is, if it's offense, defense, he's a perfect gem of both. Rosas is just going to continue to look for talent. Because talent wins. Talent allows you to acquire other talent. Um, and he's not going to pigeonhole himself into just burning up the mid-level on a, you know, a, a two-star guy that can play some defense. Um, and then just, you know, he, he's not going to do that. He's going to remain flexible, but he, he has a window. He doesn't want to suck forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, I think that's the bottom line is talent, like we said earlier, talent acquisition will, will rule the world for, for Rosas and for Minnesota. And that's... That's about it, I think. So that's that's our seven questions. I think we're, we've banged out about an hour and a half almost. So, again, it's always a great great chat with you, 
you know, um, you know, you're welcome anytime on the pod. And obviously, for everyone listening, you can follow Kyle at Kyle Tige. Um, he also runs the account for Tainter Super, so I'm sure you've seen him being op- optimistic on Facebook. And, uh, sorry, on Twitter, and just um, just running the show over there. So thanks again, Kyle. Yeah, I, I appreciate you, man. Like I said, everyone keep reading Jake. Uh, you're really one of the most talented guys out there with this pod and some of the new series you're putting out together this summer. So uh, I appreciate you and stay safe and uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much. And yep, everyone else, you know, rate, like, subscribe, share, all that good stuff. And um, I'll see you guys next week.